God's, God's big plan, right? And uh, Eleanor's uh, message two weeks ago was about how God has accomplished all these things for us. He's poured out his blessings. He's extended forgiveness on the cross. And, uh, and last week, uh, we talked about the hope, looking forward and, the, and holding on to that hope. Um, and, uh, and so this week, we're digging a bit deeper into that, into that hope and, and God's um, big plan. So first, let's pray, and then we can uh, step into it. God, we just pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would uh, help us to listen to you tonight. Uh, God, that you would use uh, my words to uh, point to your, your truth, Lord, and that your truth would speak um, to each one of us, Lord, God, that uh, you would uh, help us to really listen and absorb uh, what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, so, here we go. Um, this is my first time actually manuscripting it, writing it all out, so we'll see how this goes. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so God has... Um, God's big plan is having everything united in Christ. If we look at chapter 1, in the very end, so where we ended last week, which is um, the, um, in verse 22, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So God has a plan to bring everything together, heaven and earth all together under Christ. Everything renewed by God's incredible resurrection power. And that power that can reverse death, can reverse the curse, can reverse sin. A power that can connect us to God's presence and declare to all creation, the created physical world and the created spiritual world, that God loves his people and has rescued them. And this power is at work in us, as uh, Jamie spoke about last week, giving us hope and love, and, um, and that's incredible. God is incredible. And for the Christians in Ephesus, remember that they were coming out of a culture that was deeply religious and deeply embedded in the belief that many, many gods and goddesses, and especially the goddess Artemis, um, which Eleanor talked about a bit, was the deity to orient their lives around and to, to spend their money and spend their time worshiping them in, in the various cults and practices. And there were many in the city that, that weren't happy about this new group of Christians claiming that, in fact, there was one true God and Artemis wasn't it. And it was, it was a lot of strife, as, as Eleanor talked about um, and as Jamie talked about. There was a lot of strife. And so these, these new Christians, this new church, was struggling to hold on to the fact that, um, that they believed in this gospel. And so that's why Paul spends the first part of, this, of his letter, this first chapter, as, as we've split it up, reminding them that God has this big plan, that God has this power, um, and he's shown this to them through his, his work of Jesus on the cross and giving them the Holy Spirit. And that we can trust that God is going to accomplish it through himself, through Jesus. And it's not, it's not on us to accomplish God's plan. And this plan is the source of that hope that they face in their, their and our daily struggles. And so tonight, what we're doing is we're digging deeper into that, as I said. So we're going to enter uh, what we've divided up as the second chapter of, of Ephesians. So when Paul wrote this, he didn't write chapters. But, um, 
but here we have uh, chapter two, which is uh, convenient. And um, where Paul will expand on the good news of, of Jesus's triumph, right? Jesus's victory um, on the cross and at his resurrection and everything being brought under his feet, right? And we, and we read in last week that he was um, raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm. So he's supreme in heaven. And, uh, and so what we're learning about is how that good news impacts on us. How, is it, how does the gospel fit into our lives? How do we fit in to that gospel? And both, and so there'll be two weeks of this. First, this week is we're going to look at us as individuals. The, the emphasis will be on our individual salvation journey from death to life. And next week, it's as a community from alienation to reconciliation. And, and both kind of play a role in God's plan. And these are the essential narratives that then will motivate the more practical teachings later in Ephesians. So we're getting ready to dig onto kind of, okay, day-to-day life, how do we sort out um, how to live as a Christian? These two narratives, this week and next week, will kind of set us up for that, to say, okay, this is what it means to come from death to life, and next week, what it means to come from an alienation to a reconciled community. And we need to understand our place in the gospel, both as individuals experiencing new life and a community experiencing new peace and unity. And so tonight, we're, we're going to talk about death to life, but we're going to start by actually going further back and um, in, into the moment that God created us as humans. Because this is the first uh, moment of creation. This moment of creation is key to understanding what Jesus accomplished on the cross and at his resurrection. In Genesis 1:27 it says, "God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them." So God created every single individual to be his image bearers, to to show his image to the world, to show who he is to the world. And you, each one of us were created in God's image. We are all reflections of what of who God is. God has imbued each of us with purpose, with the purpose of reflecting his creative power. We look at the beauty of the people around us, the love we experience in our lives, and we turn and we marvel at a God who made such incredible people. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, there's an echo of this, where in uh, verse 10, we are his workmanship. We are the finest craftsmanship of God, his masterpiece. That when God put all of his creative power into making something remarkable, what he came up with was you. And think about that next time you're tempted to despair that there is nothing to love inside of you. That God has made you, specifically you, to be marvelous, unique, and a powerful reflection of himself. And remember that this is not something you have done. This is not something you have accomplished. We weren't the ones who chose to be born with the face we have or the abilities that we have. We didn't choose the experiences that helped develop those abilities and guide us into the, the various places God's put us. For me, I, I certainly didn't. It was my youth pastor telling me to read a book, or my parents forcing me to do some public speaking, or my English teacher introducing me to poetry. 
But God looks at what he created, and he says, it is good. It's wonderful. It's a masterpiece. Now, it's important to have that background when we come to today's passage, because we start today's passage at a very different spot, which is that that good image is dead, that we are cut off from God, and Paul spells out what that death is like. Because we look around us a lot of times, and we think, well, actually, I don't feel like I'm dead. I don't feel like the people around me are dead. And so Paul helps us understand what he means by, by this death. We were dead because of our sins. The ways in which we live that aren't in line with that incredible image-bearing that God designed. First, in following the course of the world. So there's three, three elements to this. First, there's um, the, the world, the devil, and the flesh, which will be familiar if, if you've been to a our baptism recently. At the end, you're called to fight valiantly against sin, the world, and the devil. Um, and so we're going to go through each one of those tonight. Um, so first, in following the course of the world, or how does he say it in the, uh, uh, that we were following the ways of the world. Um, we were part of the crowds that were going to Artemis' temple to offer sacrifices or to participate in the temple of prostitution. We were having fun with our friends and figured why not live a little with whatever substance was going around. We were looking at our neighbors to figure out how expensive our cars or our holidays should be. The culture around us was setting the tempo for our lives and helping us feel that, hey, I'm doing all right. That's one of the great things culture does and a people group does is it helps you feel like, actually, I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm in line with what people are doing. I, I give to charity a little bit. I, I'm, I'm fine. And this is a huge trap. So often we look around and think, hey, these people aren't dead. I'm not dead. Everything's fine. And we become blind and callous to the gaps and the needs and the secret pains around us. And Paul also draws our attention to what was at work as, at well in, these, in the powers of this world. It was this nudging, this, the prince of the power of the air, and this spirit that was inside of people, a spirit but a not a holy spirit, a very unholy spirit. These were, there are definite cases we know of in our, in our world. Uh, my dad has a lot of direct experience from working in a psych ward of demon possession, right, where somebody is being visibly oppressed uh, by a demon and being attacked and brutalized. But here Paul is talking about something a, a bit different. He's talking about those gentle nudges in the wrong direction, that anger that rises at some personal hurt, and the, the nudge that you should strike back. The excitement we feel when our political tribe has us whipped up about whatever the, the latest issue is they want us to be angry about. And, God, and, and Paul says that, that actually there's a spirit behind that. And, and a lot of times we give a name to that, Satan or the devil or um, something to that effect. But it's there. And all these forces make us into what he calls sons of disobedience, rejecting God and carrying out the passions of our flesh. And this flesh, it's really important to get it right, is not our physical flesh. It's not the, the meat and bones that God has made. 
Paul even makes the point that it's the desires of the body and of the mind in the ESV. I think the NIV is a little different. Um, but he draws a, a connection that it's not just, what your, not, just, not just your appetites, but it's also the desires of your mind to kind of, you know, have some accomplishment or have some superiority over somebody. And the flesh is that part of us that is opposed to God's spirit. We were created good, remember. And your body is a key part of who you are. But we are shaped by the world around us and by our resistance to God. We find ourselves simply following what we feel is right. When it gets to the end of the day, that's what we want to do. So even if we try our best to resist the course of the world or the spirits whispering to us, without God's spirit, we're still left with our own passions, our own desires. And in your moment of quiet, you know what those things are. I don't know what these things are for you. But you know what those things are, those things you want to accommodate or justify to yourself. That anger or lust or greed or approval or dishonesty that you just, you don't want to let go of. And this decay has a huge impact. We look at the world around us, at our own lives, and we see how people following the world, the devil, and the flesh create so much pain in our own lives. The loneliness we feel at being left out, or the pain we feel at being abused, the poverty we feel at the hands of greed, the destruction of places we live. So we know how awful this uh, death is. We know that it is actually death for many people. And this is so far from what God created. And where does this leave us? Well, rather than having this glorious inheritance that he promised in chapter 1, we were children of wrath. We were destined to inherit wrath. God looks down in anger on the way that our viciousness is tearing his other image bearers apart. And we would say he's justifiably angry at that. He wants to clean up that mess. And, but that means that we would be in the line of fire. So children of wrath, deserving wrath, but God. God looks down, and he doesn't just look down in wrath, but he looks down in love on those same people, on us. That same love he has always had for us, from the creation of the world, from the design of who you were, is still there in our deadness to him. He's even more motivated to heal our brokenness. When someone you love is in a destructive self in a self-destructive pattern, our best selves rush to rescue them. And that is the image of God in us. And so what did God do? He reached down and he made us alive. He awakened our spirits and made us new creations. He reset the clock. He takes us back to Eden. And he does this through the power of Jesus, right? who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. When Christ died, he took the punishment for our sins. And when he was alive, he made us alive with him. And this is God's free gift. This is grace, that he's raised us up to new life. He's made us aware of our sin and decay. We no longer recognize ourselves as 
kind of okay. But we're aware of the death in us. And not only does he make us aware of that, but he's forgiven us, made us alive, and reconnected us to his life source. And so where does that, where does that leave us? So we've, we've gone, we, we have creation, God's given us this new life, and, and what about these three things? What about the world, the flesh, and the devil? Well, Jesus, in his grace and his power, undoes all of these things. First, he has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. And this connects directly to chapter 1, verse 20, where Christ has authority over the devil and the evil spirits. That Christ has supreme authority over them, and we're sat right next to him. We are now over them in the name of Jesus. They tremble at the new creatures that we are. We don't have to listen to that nudge anymore. This is why when the gospel enters a new culture or a new place... There's so many demon possession, uh, demons that are cast out. This is why Jesus spent a lot of his time on earth casting out demons. Because he's supreme over them because of his work on the cross. Second, he puts us on display as evidence that he has triumphed over the ways of the world. He has displayed his power to restore even the vilest sinner. That we're no longer a victim of the place we grew up that we can be healed of the evil habits that we've had. And God puts us on display showing us that he can triumph over that. This is a kingdom of forgiveness and restoration. Jesus wants to heal you and make you whole. As we just sang, who, what can stand against the power of the resurrection? And last, the flesh. Those parts of our own selves that are broken and that are so deeply a part of us. This is where the good news of God's plan really hits home. Because God's grace is what saves us. His grace is sufficient for you. In our death and our, res- and our, our, uh, our flesh, we are unable. We're unable to overcome that. But he is able. God is able to do what he said he would do. It's not by your power. Thank God. When I started preparing this sermon two weeks ago, I felt deeply that you were dead. I felt very dead. I felt exhausted by life and tapped out. I felt afraid of anxieties from the past dragging me down again. But thank God that he doesn't take us through this passage saying, well, now you've got to get it together. You've got to take a mindfulness course. You've got to sort yourself out. He knows how hopeless we are. And this is the incredible comfort. God is and will continue to do a marvelous work in your life by his grace. And this is the power of the resurrection. By his death, he took away our punishment. But on Easter morning, he pours out his creative power once again to show us just how wonderful his love is. And so here we are. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And we are made alive with him. We can begin to see that image-bearing. We can start to make out that image-bearing that he made us to be. But where do we go from here? Well, he has done this marvelous work, and it doesn't rest on us. But since we don't have to work for our salvation, what should we spend our time doing? Well, chapter um, verse 10 leads us right into that. 
For we are God's handiwork, right? We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has laid out the path for us. Um, in, the, in the ESV, it ends that phrase with, he has prepared in advance for us to do that we may walk in them. Next week, we're going on the journey, many of us in this church. We're really looking forward to it, the Rens are. Um, and it's just a pleasure to walk. You know, you can just follow the trail that Rosie set for you and just walk along the way. And that's what God's done with the good works in our life. We don't have to strive. We don't have to, to, um, to fight to find them. God's not hiding them as Easter eggs. But he's prepared the way for us. And God has this room full of his fine workmanship. And he has prepared particular things for each and every one of us to do. And he longs to show his wonderful love and image and grace to the world, to the praise of his glory, through the things that you do, through the things that Philip Landrigan will do, through the things that Danny will do, through the things that Noah will do. He promises that he has prepared particular things for you to do, things that only you can do. So how does this land for you? Perhaps you're wondering what your next step is for taking a step in, in this new life that God is. So I'd have three, three main points of reflection for you to take, take away. First, remember that no one can boast. In those classic verses in Ephesians 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Humility is absolutely at the core of following Jesus. We know that we are not the source of power. We were dead, and he has reached out and given new life. This, this is grace. St. Anthony of the desert, desert was a Christian man who spent many decades largely in isolation in the deserts of Egypt, devoting himself to prayer, and then he would come back and spend time with the Christian communities that he had come from and teach and encourage other Christians as well. And so we have some of those teachings that he wrote out and some accounts of his life. Um, and he was a bit like John the Baptist in a way. Um, and he's probably what most of us would consider as a very holy person, right? The classic hermit in the desert who's devoted himself to prayer. And yet by his own account of his life, he was one, was one of constant struggle against sin, trying to resist sin, trying to resist the pull of the world, trying to resist the devil and the demons that would attack him. And in one vision, he said, I saw the snares that the enemy had spread out over the whole world. And I said, what can get through such snares? And I heard a voice saying to me, humility and this is echoed in the lives of so many older Christians that I've met over the years. The older they get, the more and more humble and more reliant on God uh, Christians get. Because this humility is the work of grace. And so I would encourage you, as a takeaway, is strive to stay reliant on God. Try to stay humble as you listen and seek his will in your life. Don't seek a purpose that you can self-actualize but seek where God is leading you and know that he's the one who will lead you. 
Second, listen to the Spirit. God wants to guide you into the person he wants you to be. He wants to shape you, and he wants to speak to you. And so spend some time. Spend some time in quietness and in prayer. Take time, even this week, to reread this passage and sit for 15, 20 minutes, asking God to show you where he wants to continue his work in your life. We had Mike, uh, one of the founders of uh, CBBF, or CCBF, Childhood Christian Bible Fellowship, last week, um, speaking to the Legacy Group. Matt was also one of the founding members uh, after he was discipled by Mike. Um, And one thing that really struck me and blew me away uh, was how, um, for Mike, the Holy Spirit came to him in the quiet moments, that that was where God started renewing him, started speaking to him, when he took time going for long walks and asking God to show him his face to him. And this was after he'd been a Christian for decades. He finally took the time to seek God's spirit, and that's when God's spirit spoke to him. So take that time to actually seek God's voice. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and years, and you've never taken that time. So let's stay humble. Let's listen to the spirit. And last, let's be aware Let's be aware of, of who we once were, the people that we were dead. And we'll get into more detail on this in the, in the coming weeks. Feel free to read ahead in Ephesians. But are you acting like you're a dead person, simply following the ways of the world around you or the desires of your own body or mind? Or perhaps you're striving to show God that you're worthy of his love. But God loves you, and he has done that work. And so the call is to rest in that and to trust his grace and his love for you. So with that, we close. And this, remember, this is part one of how we fit into God's gospel. Next week, we'll look at the another incredible dimension of, uh, of God's love and power over death. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you have made us alive. God, that you have shown us your spirit and spoken to us and um, invited us into uh, this great inheritance along with Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help us to receive that in humility and to listen for uh, the good works that you've prepared for us, God, that we may show the world your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.